This week, the charity Mind Medicine Australia announced the establishment of a new fund to support the development of observational trials into psychedelic-assisted therapies to treat a range of mental illnesses. The fund's apparently been kick-started by a million-dollar commitment from the Hunt Family Foundation. The scientific and clinical advisory panel that will assess spending from the new fund is chaired by Professor David Nutt. David is the head of neuropsychopharmacology at Imperial College London, and he's also the founder and chief scientific officer of Drug Science, a independent UK not-for-profit. I spoke with Professor Nutt earlier, and I started by welcoming him to Sunday Extra. Thank you, Julian. Good to be here. It's great to have you. Uh, David, what is the, the current state of scientific research into the use of psychedelics as a treatment for mental health? Well, in the last 10 years, there's been a resurrection of interest in psychedelics, starting with psilocybin, magic mushroom juice. There have now been probably about 10 studies uh, using psilocybin to treat disorders such as depression, addictions, we're now moving into anorexia nervosa and um, OCD. So there's there's probably been about a thousand patients treated um, in those uh, small scale academic trials, and they all, and the results are very positive. So what we're hoping to do is to move to the next stage where we can begin to roll out this therapy um, and encourage more research and a broader range of disorders. I'm interested in, in what you say there about rolling out the, the therapy while also doing more research. Is there a bit of a tension there in terms of needing to confirm the scientific efficacy? Well, when we look at evidence in medicine, there are different levels of evidence. And typically people see that the RCT or the randomized controlled trial, where you take a group of people with a particular specific disorder and randomize them to a treatment or to a a placebo that's been seen as being the, the um, top of this hierarchy mm. now that's come under challenge recently because uh, that does exclude quite a lot of people usually the vast majority of people with one disorder have other disorders so the second level of evidence is is looking at those people with multiple disorders and that's called real world evidence and that's where you take a normal so to speak patient who may have three or four different disorders and you put them into the same trial but you don't randomize they all get the medicine, and then you see which of the different disorders that person has responds to the medicine. And that is often a better predictor of what a medicine is going to be useful for and how to use it in ordinary clinical practice when doctors are seeing patients who do have a very complex mixture of different uh, problems. Yeah, this concept of real-world evidence that uh, the Hunt Foundation is supporting uh, the research on is, is a really important one. It's, it's, it's growing in, in importance in the last 10 years. Now, international regulators are beginning to realize that the traditional clinical trial, while it has a lot of strengths, does have a major weakness. I'll give you an example. When you are doing a study, say in depression, for a, whether it's a psychedelic drug or any other drug, you have to eliminate about... 80 to 90% of all the people who apply for the trial with depression because of their age or their gender or they've got some other problem, they might have PTSD or they might have addiction. So in the end, when you study a disorder in the traditional RCT, randomized controlled trial fashion, you study a very unusual group of people, a group of people that rarely met in clinical practice. Yeah. And that's where real-world evidence is important because because 
most doctors work in the real world and they are treating people who have these comorbidities. Uh, so so the, it's important we get an understanding of the value of these medicines in or in addition to, not, 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 it's not better than an RCT, but it's a very important corollary um, to the RCT data. That, so that's the first reason for doing it. Um, the second reason for doing it is that you might discover things that you didn't know. So in Australia and in the UK, for about four or five years now, we've had medical cannabis. But no one knows really how to use it because drug companies haven't done RCTs. So, so I have a charity in Britain called Drug Science, and we set up a real-world evidence um, initiative on medical cannabis. We started it three years ago, and we now have over 3,000 patients who've been in this study of medical cannabis. And we've discovered all sorts of interesting things. We've discovered that medical cannabis is much less worrisome. A lot of doctors say, oh, if you go on medical cannabis, you'll get psychotic. We've discovered there's no psychosis in the 3,000 people. We've discovered some intriguing aspects about how medical cannabis is helping people stop using opiates for pain. About almost half of our patients who were using opiates have decided not to use them anymore. And we've also discovered that there are groups of patients that would never be studied in an RCT who are getting benefits. So, for instance, you know, we've got a group of maybe I think about 30 people with a rare condition called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome who are benefiting remarkably from medical cannabis. Now, that, that there's never been a study of a medicine in that syndrome, uh, and there probably never will be. So real-world evidence is the only way that these patients can get any kind of uh, involvement or any kind of understanding of, of the new therapies. So that gives you a flavor of why real-world evidence is so important. Mm. It, it broadens, it gives you a lot more safety data, and it potentially uh, allows doctors to really optimize the therapy. David, now, uh, who's on the scientific and clinical advisory panel that's going to be considering applications to the fund that was announced by Mind Medicines Australia this week? Well, that's being set up at present. I mean, one of the suggestions I'm going to make, and I have to say, I cannot speak them my medicine. They just asked me to chair the committee. Mm. But I'm going to suggest that maybe my charity or some members of the, the, the Real World Evidence Group of my charity become a, a sort of scientific overseers for this. But I'm sure there'll be plenty of Australians. Several Australian universities have set up uh, psychedelic research groups. I advise several of them already, that's both in Sydney and Melbourne. And I don't think we're going to have any problem. There are a lot of very senior and competent Australian scientists who I'm sure will work with us on this. Uh, the fund is described as being for the development of observational trials into psychedelic-assisted therapies. What sort of things would you expect that to cover? It's a fund which is uh, asking for research submissions. So the research community will provide um, the request. So I don't know, but knowing what Australian researchers are interested in, I would be surprised if there were not applications to study PTSD or people with trauma disorders. I would imagine there would also be quite a lot of interest in anxiety disorders because those are two disorders where there isn't any RCT in the world at present with a psychedelic. That really gives you another example of why these observational trials are important. We know that a lot of uh, people with PTSD, particularly veterans, are going and getting treatment with psychedelics. And many of them are saying, how oh, it's been very useful to them. But at present, they, if there's no drug company doing a study, 
in PTSD. They don't have really any hope of there becoming a licensed medicine uh, or a psychedelic becoming a licensed medicine for them in the near future, which means that they have to do it effectively under the radar illegally. And that's wrong. One of the great advantages of these kind of um, observational trials is that we, we could put people in with PTSD and, and we could monitor how they do. And if they do well, then that would give an incentive to pharm a pharmaceutical company to go away and do an RCT on the back of which a psychedelic could get a license. So it's helping the research community, particularly the pharmaceutical company research community, get enough confidence in a, in a particular indication to invest the millions of dollars it's re required to do an RCT. Hmm. Uh, David, now do you expect that those observational trials of uh, therapies will be conducted by traditionally qualified medical professionals? Oh, I don't expect that. I know that. Hmm. <laughs> the whole point is about, sorry, let me be very clear about this. We are collecting data of the same quality as would be collected in an RCT. We will be collecting data from medical professionals, will be doing the prescribing, they will be doing the monitoring. We will provide, uh, and that's one of the expertises we now have from my, in my charity, we will provide a database which will collect the data in a completely systematic and regular way, probably using daily recordings from things like um, smartphones. Oh, no, th this is the same quality of therapy and the same quality of data collection as you would get in an RCT. The only difference is that you're treating real patients uh, as opposed to patients who do have you know, a rather, uh, you know, rather specific disorders. We will be looking at patients who, the kind of patients who present to psychiatrists with a range of disorders that currently are excluded from RCTs. Part of the the mission of Mind Medicine Australia, and it sounds like uh, it's something that you're supportive of as well, is reform in terms of the categorization of, for example, psychedelics. Has there been uh, change in what you'd regard as progress in other jurisdictions yet, or are we still at the sort of the early days of reform on this front? Well, one of the reasons for doing what we're going to do in, in, in Australia is because uh, th there's been massive changes, um, particularly in the USA. Certainly psilocybin, magic mushrooms have been decriminalized in the whole state of Oregon. There's on the, they're on the ballot to be decriminalized in the whole state of California. Uh, and Oregon has said it's going to set up a whole statewide initiative of psilocybin therapeutic centers. The field is changing dramatically. The same similar kinds of changes are occurring in Canada. And mushrooms have been legal, or the truffles have been legal in the Netherlands uh, for 50 years. And there's a huge amount of, um, of therapy going on there. So the fact is the field is changing fast. What we're not getting is enough good data to really help clinicians work out how best to use these uh, medicines. What we don't really want is for everyone or other word to be using psychedelics without knowing how best to use them. And this, this initiative, this uh, My Medicine initiative, would at least allow expert Australian therapists to get a good handle on how best to use them. The benefits certainly outweigh the downsides. Professor David Nutt, thank you so much for speaking with us on Sunday Extra. It's been a pleasure, Julian. Thank you. 
and as well as being uh, Head of Neuropsychopharmacology at Imperial College London, David Nutt is the Founder and Chief Scientific Officer of the UK not-for-profit Drug Science. It's easier than ever to hear your favourite local and national ABC radio stations, live and on demand on the ABC Listen app.